is 25 Whistles with Bobby Bones, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app and use the code BOBBYSPORTS to get in on the action. So it is holiday season, and we are around, but I wanted to take this time to actually highlight some of the really cool stuff we've been able to do this year. So it's talking to awesome people that I never thought I would get to interview because, well, we weren't doing a sports show. But here we go. Let's do this week Colin Cowherd, Jay Glazer, and Marcellus Wiley. All three had a very different journey in their career with Marcellus playing in the NFL to Jay and Colin covering the league for decades on different spectrums. But again, all three have had a very unique journey to success. So this one was super cool. All of them are. But first up is Colin Cowherd. I wanted to find out how Colin went from a small town in Washington to really one of the biggest faces and voices on sports radio and television. So Colin and I discussed who were some of the first people that doubted him how divorce left him poor, and who instilled dreams into him and a whole bunch more. I hope you enjoyed this interview because I did. And check out 25 Whistles if you're here by any other way than the feed. All right, thank you. Hey, Colin, first off, just been a massive fan for, I'm just going to start with this and we'll move to the real stuff, but for like 15 years, like diehard, massive fans. Oh, geez. So to be able to sit and talk with you for just a few minutes, like it's a real thrill for me, so thank you. Oh, of course. Yeah, your career's exploded. It's just amazing. They're really behind you at the company. I think it's great. So what I'm curious at how other people do their creative endeavors. And before, because I, I do want to go back to when you were a kid, but I want to know what your day is like, meaning I watch a show and I DVR it. So I do get to watch or I'll hit the podcast. And so I see and I hear, but people don't see the behind the scenes stuff. What time do you get in in the daytime? And how many people do you sit with before a show and go over ideas or segments uh get up at about 5 40 uh leave my house at about six there at 6 15 put the contacts in walk upstairs and it's about an hour and a half process um used to be about two hours but we've got a really good crew i would say there are three four five six seven eight nine people in the room um they've got about 10 stories laid out for me i picked probably four um, and then they just keep throwing ideas at me. I usually come in with something to say on one or two. I have kind of a, a, a worldview on how I view each story. And then I just like them to pitch ideas and funny lines and argue and any way we can sandpaper it to get the most interesting take. Um, you know, I tell young broadcasters all the time, don't be consumed with being right. It'd be great to be right, but be interesting. Find the most interesting angle on something. And, uh, that's what we really strive for. Just And I've done it long enough, Bobby, where I can kind of sense like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard anybody say that on that story. And I, th- by the way, I'm always hoping to be right. But what I think is, uh, you're probably curious. I think I'm curious. I'm looking for angles on stuff. And I like the the why better than the what. Like, why is this happening? I can see what is happening. I think 99% of sports talk show hosts tell me what I see. I like to be the 1% that says, this is why you're seeing it. And, you know, a lot of times I'm wrong. (laughs) My theory is wrong. But I think a lot of the times um, that's what we're always seeking, kind of the why, why something is happening. You know, it sounds to me when you describe what you do, there's still a passion in your voice about what you do. And to be doing it at such a high level for so long to still have that passion. Like, what is it? What happened in your childhood with me? It was just growing up a food stamp kid and a welfare kid. But what is it for you that keeps you just driven toward this 
the success really that no one else has had like you've had it? Well, you know, it, uh, you know, I had all the things necessary, probably a uh, childhood divorce, high school acne, uh, girls <laughs> not dating me. <laughs> um, uh, the divorce left me very poor. Um, always felt loved, but kind of a, a, a reluctant. My mom was sort of British, um, doting, kind of protective. Um, you know, dad was a really decent guy, um, small town doctor but very career driven. Um, maybe I felt ignored and wanted people to pay attention to me. I knew what I wanted to do at a very early age, but I also felt, um, and it's not sad, but I felt I was kind of on my own. Like it's not that my parents weren't there for me. I mean, you know, I, I, I never felt never verbal abuse or I wasn't loved. None of that stuff, but I always kind of felt, um, my dad was a workaholic. My mom was British, didn't really, wasn't going to help me a lot in my career. And so I always felt sort of, um, um, the word escapes me. I, I would say if I needed to be self-reliant and if, and if I didn't succeed, then I, I wouldn't succeed if I didn't make my own path, um, and I, you know, I tell my kids this all the time is that I don't, I want to raise you. So at 20 years old, you don't need me anymore. Like that's kind of how I was raised. And I think that kind of fight and that survival mechanism has been really powerful for me. So, um, you know, I, I definitely child of divorce, um, a sister that was five and a half, six years older. So by the time I was in high school, she was out. Um, you know, we weren't close. No, no. 18 year old girl wants to hang around a 12 and a half year old boy. Right. And so I, and I live, it was rural. So I didn't have this wide social net of friends. I mean, every house was, you know, a ways away. So you kind of had to make up your own fun. And I would make up uh batting lineups on a piece of paper and do the play by play and play wiffle ball by myself and, and, and play basketball sometimes by myself and shoot baskets and, you know, I was a Laker. It's Jabbar over to this player, over to that player. 18-footer, good. Talk to myself, still do a lot. Um, so that independence, self-reliance, still kind of, you know, it thrives in me today. You know, rural, that's how I describe where I'm from, too. I'm from a small town in Arkansas, like 700 people. And there was nobody to tell me that I couldn't do anything. But nobody actually knew you right. could outside of where you lived. There was a mill. It's a sawmill town. And so they weren't saying you right. can't go and do a TV show or a big radio show. But they definitely weren't saying I could. And the same thing about you, like who told, who put it in you, who instilled in you that there were these dreams that no one around you had actually reached out and touched, but that you could do it. Um, that's a good question. I, I think that is a good question. Who instilled these dreams? I think I always felt like an underdog. Like when I went to college, um, I always had that chip on my shoulder. Nobody thought I could do it. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. I had to work while I went to school. And I think there's a survival thing. I think, I don't know if anybody told me I could or couldn't do it. I just remember my mom when I was about 13 years old, 12 or 13 years old, telling me one day I was reading the paper. She goes, you know, you just can't read the sports section. 
that just can't be it. And I said, yeah, it can. <laughs> I am going to work in sports. I am going to work in sports and I know it. And I just, I just at a very early age, you know, I quarterbacked my high school team. I was a little taller than some guys, a little more athletic. I always said, you know, I dated like a cheerleader. I always had kind of, even though I was kind of goofy, I, I kind of had this confidence about me. And, and uh, you know, I can remember when I was, you know, 17 to 27, you know, and I was in Vegas. I remember, you know, I would date women or go on dates and they'd be like, man, you're, you are driven. Like you, you just, you are, they're like, you know, you'd be impossible to marry. You're like, you're married to your career. And I would be like, yeah, it's great. It's a great career. It's a great life, you know? And then all of a sudden you have kids. I, I get married. It's thirties. But I think, I think, um, Bobby, I just think I was so driven and that comes from loneliness and, uh, you know, just sort of this small town underdog, underdog mentality. Uh, and I think it's just always been in me. I don't know if it was engineered by anybody. I don't, if it was, I don't remember it. Um, but I always knew. I can remember when I was young, just thinking I had no doubt in my mind I was going to be like a network sportscaster. It never. And when I went to college and people didn't care as much as I did, I remember thinking, this is my competition. And then I went to Vegas and got a job. And the people I work with didn't care as much as I did. So every step of the way, I was like, man, I am really into this. And other people think it's just the job. And so every market I went to, it was like, man, they just don't love it like I do. They don't think about it. They don't dream about it. They don't plan for it. They don't construct their day around it. So I just, I kept being um, reminded how much I loved it. And if I worked hard, how I could get there. And it was just step after step after step after step. And that passion, that confidence just grew as I'd be I join clubs or stations or radio stations or TV stations. And I could just tell it was a job for people. And it was more of a mission for me. I talk to my therapist a lot about balance because I, like you have just been uh, consumed with right. me having this humongous chip, probably much bigger than I should have, but in trying to yeah. prove people wrong. And now I try to pr prove people right. Like I'm at the point in my career where it's like, I go, okay, I'm going to prove these folks right who have invested in me. And I've, I've done pretty good sitting on the old therapist couch, but I've been, I'm married now for the first time. I didn't get married until I was 40 years old. And balance is a struggle because I have been so consumed with what I do, which was my job. How in the world right. do you reach the level that you've reached and still achieve any sort of balance? Well, I've, I've had some balance, Bobby. What I really try to do, and it's not always easy, is live very much in the moment. Is, is that when I'm around my wife or my kids, I really live in the moment. I just, this is going to be what I do. I went to Rome with my wife. I went to Italy for a week and, and just put the phone down. Or I go to Turks and Caicos, take pictures, put the phone down. So try to live in the moment when I have these opportunities. Um, but I think it's a struggle. You know, I said this once to a therapist. I think I wrote about this once in my first book. I said, um, you know, when they... There's a lot of things that make people happy. If you Googled what makes people happy, they would say um, animals, um, giving, um, good friends. You know what they never say? Balance. <laughs> Peyton Manning wasn't balanced. I, <laughs> I mean, was was Michael Jordan balanced? I think balance, I think it's a little overrated. You know what I'd rather be? Wildly passionate about my wife, about my job, 
about my uh, the volume. Uh, um, I, I think I'm really passionate. And as I've gotten older, I've pruned my tree like that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But I don't think balance has ever made me happy. I mean, you tell me, are you ha- I'm happy today. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy because I'm at the place now where like all that I've been working for forever is finally coming to fruition, right? Like I've really just in the TV world and the radio world and the it, right. it's like I'm finally getting the opportunity to pick what I want to do instead of I get to say no to things. Like how cool is that? I know I've never got to say no to things before, like real things. And I get to say no and it's a weird thing to but that to me, and I told my wife because she has a great family. And to her, family has yeah. always been a bit, but I didn't have a dad, I didn't have a mom. I didn't have, so I've just had yeah. my career. And so now I'm, you know, you're trying to figure, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how in the world do I, ba- and balance doesn't mean 50-50, but how in the world do I balance this at all? And I look at someone like you who's able to crush it professionally. And I hear you talk about your wife and even your kids. And it's like, dang, how does he do that? So I guess if anything, I'll, I'll send you a bill for this therapy session. And this is over. <laughs> but but you know you know who never seems happy to me? Ski bum, poet, web designer, part-time artist. A million things, they're not a mile deep on any of them. If you're if you're totally invested in your wife and totally invested in your career and then you have a really great charity and then you have a couple of kids, what a life. Or do you have when you're into those? I mean, balance is one of those sort of like ethereal sort of nebulous things. It's like, I live a balanced life. No, I sleep for seven. Uh, I work for six. Uh, I nap and listen to music for one. I work out for one. I eat for two. I'm into all of those things when I'm doing them. I don't sit around worrying about balance. What I worry about is enjoying the the time I have in the moment doing what I'm doing. And if it comes out as balance, but there are some days I don't do much work. Uh, you know, once the football season ends, I get three day weekends. I don't even think about work. So, and then there are other times during the football season, I'm, you know, my Sundays are a work day. So I think sometimes people, it's like FOMO, fear of missing out. There's this fear of lacking balance. We'll create a new FOLB, uh, fear <laughs> of lacking balance. I don't think that many people have balance. And I don't think perfect balance makes anybody happy. Let's go back to a job that you had early on that at the time seemed tough, but you look back and you're like, dang, I actually learned a lot there. You know, I, I did play-by-play. The home games, I did play-by-play for, for Division II Henderson State University. And then um, on the road, I had to do play-by-play in color because we couldn't afford to send two people out in the crew. And that was it was really hard. But I look back and I'm like, man, I really learned a whole lot there. In Hot Springs, Arkansas, doing a radio show. I learned a whole lot because I had to do everything. When you look back at your career, what was that job or a couple jobs for you where Really difficult, but you're so thankful you had them because of everything that you you developed. Well, my first job out of college was um, really doing an inning of play-by-play for Las Vegas. You say an inning? Um, I did it just an inning. They I had to sell, and they would give me one inning of play-by-play if I so I was like 22. <laughs> so the guys around me were like 38, 40. They were had been doing it for years. They probably resented me, and it was hard because I wanted to be on the air more. Um, so I had to do sales all day and then I would do prep and then I would do an inning and save my tapes. And I mean, my, my, I spent like seven, eight years in Vegas, a couple in sales, a couple doing an inning, then a TV station hired me. Vegas was a grind. It took years off my life. 
Um, it was really, really hard. I didn't have a lot of money for probably the first five, six years. Child of divorce. So I went into the city broke. I was broke for about five, six years. I mean, had no money um, and was working nonstop, ending a play-by-play, doing sales. Then a local TV station hired me. I did an internship, turned into a weekend sports job. Um, but I will tell you this. Um, I needed other people. And there were a lot of beer and chicken wing nights with TV people and radio people. And as you and I get more successful, I think we'll just sort of naturally have fortresses around us, right? You have the agent and you have the bosses and you don't deal with the day-to-day because you're going to start, you're making so much money for the company now and hopefully I am that, you know, we are two of the people at the company that are, you know, business is thriving. And so this is where I wanted to be. But those journey years for me, I have such good memories. All the mistakes, all the dollar chicken wings. Um, I was a more social animal then. I'm I'm probably less social now because it's more about family and business. So those years I have very, six, seven years, very fond Vegas memories. The mob was still in Vegas then. It was it was a different town than it's very corporate now. I feel like I got to see the old, it was transitioning, old Vegas, like the movie Casino. You know, that was just ending. And then I went to Vegas and it was starting with, with instead of like a guy owning a casino, it was the Hilton. It was the MGM. It was, you know, so I felt like I was in a transition stage in Vegas. And I feel so lucky that I lived through that. I got on a Southwest flight once and Barry Switzer was on the flight. And I was like, dang, this is crazy. Barry Switzer, who's from Arkansas, near where I'm from. Yeah. Um, obviously, he coached Oklahoma with Cowboys, but he's, he's an Arkansas guy like me. And I flipped out. And I, I think pro- we're both probably pretty jaded now when it comes to celebrities yeah. because we know they just happen to have a skill that culturally we deem a little cooler than the rest. It just so happens right. their skill is deemed cooler. And so yeah. at this point, I don't get starstruck by many folks. And I would assume it's the same for you. But who have you met in the last few years at, where you're just like, this is so freaking cool. I I get to meet and talk with you. Well, I'm always amazed. A lot of people watch sports shows or see my clips. And I think that the funniest story was uh, I was Phil, Keith Oberman had a show on ESPN years ago and he, he took a couple days off. And so they called me and said, would you do Keith's show? It was a TV show in a New York setting. So I drove to New York, stayed the night and I did the show for a couple of days. And he doesn't like college football much. So they said, hey, we want to put some college football on the show. Uh, let's. Uh, Con- Condoleezza Rice is a big fan of college football. I was like, oh, awesome. Um, and so I pre-taped the interview with Condoleezza Rice, right, that you put into the show and it looks live. And you tape it for 12, 15 minutes. You use 11 of it or 10 of it. And so like here, we can see each other on a screen. And I'm like, um, three, two, one, three, two, one. And all of a sudden I hear this. The herd. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, she goes, oh, I listen to you every morning on the treadmill. And I'm like, um, you're running the country. Stop that. That's Stop awesome. that right now. Don't do that. And we sat and talked about things for about 10 minutes. And that was like one of those. This is really, really cool. Um, that That's one that really jumps out to me. And then I've had, um, you know, something I like. Um this football season, I've been interviewing Sean Payton, Saints coach, for 30 minutes on Mondays. And he comes into the studio. And we talk before he goes on the air, then during it, and then often after. And I'm still a kid. I'm so fascinated by how his mind works about football. I That is my happy zone. 
talking football with one of the five smartest offensive guys ever. And he's telling me stuff on the air, then off the air. Bobby, that to me is that will never I could be 90 that I've had these conversations with Jimmy Johnson off the air in the green room when I used to do the Sunday show for Fox. And I would just pepper him with questions. And Bobby would tell me the hurricane days and the Dan Marino stories and the Dallas stuff that you can't say on the air. That to me is when I'm just jaw dropping in awe of, of what I do for a living. I'm like, nobody's, this is the coolest thing in the world right now talking to Jimmy Johnson about the Miami hurricane days. And I can't tell any of these stories on the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's those are the best stories. I get those a lot too. Where I'm like, one day I'll be able to share this. And because, you know, in this industry here, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes down that's very interesting and very entertaining. But it's also the shady stuff that you can't share. And so I know, well, well, you know, Bobby, when I when I when I started in this business, I tell people this in my 20s and early 30s, if I had information, I wanted to make sure everybody knew I had information. Now I'm in my 50s. I have to bury information because I've built up all these sources through the years and they tell me stuff and I can't let it out. And so I'll never write a book on it. I'm not going to do a Geraldo and write a book, you know, at the end of my career. So I find that early in my career, I was like, Hey, I got information. I want to tell you now, like you, you, you have sourcing, you want to be close to people. You want to be trusted. And I don't say stuff. I got a lot of information that I, that I, that I can kind of use on the air as a direction or a or starting point on a story, but I, I'm so glad there are people out there that trust me, like GMs, um, you know, players, and they know I'm not going to burn them. Um, but that's the that's the part of my job. Like you, you and I will have this closet, this little black book <laughs> of stories that that'll never get out. But that is one of the great things about our job: that information and that proximity to people that they trust us. And I. I really appreciate that. Who was the first person that actually expressed to you and you believed them that you could be great? Um, so I was, I had worked in Vegas for seven years and then I got a job in Tampa doing weekends. And to supplement my income, a local Rob Weingartner, I think is his name. Rob Weingarten. He was a program director at a sports talk radio station in Tampa. And he had seen me on TV and he said, I got this old guy, Hubert Mizell. He was a sports writer, the late Hubert Mizell, a good friend. He goes, I want to couple you with him in the mornings. I said, that'd be awesome. So we did it. And I had been doing it for about six months. And one day Rob came in. And Rob said, hey, you got a phone call. Um, I want you to call this guy back after the show. He's a sports talk radio consultant. His name is Rick Scott, Seattle-based. So I did the show with Hubert. Hubert was very funny. We got along great. And the show was over, and I, I called this guy back. And Rick Scott was in town. I think he, he was, you know, at that time, Bobby, and still is, there was like two or three sports radio stations in town. And he had seen me the night before on TV. And he said, uh, you don't know who I am. He says, quit television. You are going to be the Rush Limbaugh of Sports Talk Radio host. And I went, 
what do you mean? And he said, I've heard everybody in the country. He goes, quit television. He goes, I'm going to call you in about three months, four months, keep working at it. And uh, blah, 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 blah. A while later, a few months later. So that was the first person that ever said anything. And I was just like, you know, because I didn't listen. I didn't listen to everybody else. I didn't know what everybody else sounded like, except the people in Tampa. They were fine. And then a few months later, um, I was sending out TV tapes and uh, another guy called me, uh, Bruce Arena, ran a station in Portland. And he said, I got a call from Rick Scott and I was told, hire you. <laughs> he goes, I've never heard of you and I've <laughs> never heard your tape, but I trust Rick. So you want to be my sports afternoon host. So that was my big break. But that was the first time um, you know, I thought, I, you know, like you, Bobby, I thought I was a hard worker and I was talented and I, I cared about it and I was invested in it. But nobody had ever said, hey, you could do this. And it really inspired me. It was really inspiring to me. It was just like, wow. I almost felt like, okay, this guy knows this industry way better than I do. I don't want to disappoint him. So it made me work harder. You know, before Sports Talk Radio, when I first started was, I was a TV guy and I just liked talking. And Hubert Mizell was very funny and he had this sort of Southern charm and I just liked him. We liked the same stuff. We laughed a lot. Um, but it didn't pay at all back then. And, 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 and it just wasn't as formidable, like with iHeart as it is now. It just, it just wasn't, I think Rome was Jim Rome was just starting and it just wasn't that it wasn't the industry that it is now. So th that was it. That was the first time somebody said, but you could potentially be something pretty cool. Well, this is one of those moments for me that I mentioned earlier where it's just freaking cool to be able to hang out. So thanks for being so generous with your time. Been a massive fan forever. And I'll just continue to be a massive fan. And that's that's it. So thanks, Colin. And hopefully one day I'll see you in real life. Bobby, um, you are beloved at the company. Your <laughs> career is on fire for a reason. Musically gifted, verbally gifted. You have earned all of it. And um, you're one of the easiest guys in our business to root for. So I'm really happy for you. Thanks, Colin. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for the time, buddy. A reminder, the 25 Whistles is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app, use the code Bobby Sports, and get in on the action now. So it's all about the NFL. It's all about you guys going and having a good time, making games interesting that maybe you wouldn't have cared about. And we do a parlay on 25 Whistles every single week, so be watching for that. And if you're a new user, use the code Bobby Sports when you download the app. 21 and up in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467-369. Yeah, the second interview of this podcast that I wanted to share with you guys is former NFL Pro Bowler Marcellus Wiley. Love him. Love his podcast. Marcellus played in the NFL for a decade. We talked about preparation for these athletes and what it takes to be on top of their game consistently. And when he realized he was an elite athlete as a kid, it's a lot of great insight from a former player and what these athletes have to deal with, what they go through. Just one of my favorites. Here is Marcellus Wiley. Marcellus, how are you? Oh, I'm great, man. Much respect, brother. Yeah, same to you. Really, just super pumped you'd spend a few minutes with us here. I want to talk about being ready for a second. And so I do one of like the, the radio show that I do every day is in a couple hundred cities and it's a thing. But each night I set aside time. Each morning I set aside time, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Or if I'm doing stand-up on the weekends, I'm spending time writing. Whatever I'm doing, I dedicate an amount of time that I think is sufficient to doing a 
good job, putting a, a good workout so I can make my money, right? That's, that's what we're all doing. Yeah. Now, yeah. some nights, let's say my wife and I decide to go to dinner and I don't get to do as much uh, prep or reading the news as much. or And then I go in and I'm like, whoa, I'm just going to have to skate through this one because I didn't. Now, does that happen week to week with you guys where you're supposed to watch a whole lot of film? And maybe you do. 13 weeks, but there's a couple where you're like, oh, I didn't get, I didn't get to as much of it as I should. So I'm just going to hope this works out. Yeah, absolutely. There are times, I mean, if there's a uniform standard of uh, traditional prep time of 15 hours, are there weeks when it's 12 hours? Absolutely. Are there weeks when it's 17? Absolutely. And you ride the wave. And one thing you have to always be is the ultimate justifier. And you also got to be your biggest cheerleader. So if you're ill prepared for the game, you got to start lying to yourself. Nah, today we plan on instinct. Today we plan <laughs> off of just what <laughs> we plan on what we see. You know, you got to start justifying and lying to yourself because you know you're not ready for that moment. And it's the same thing in our in our world in any endeavor. If you walk in the door and you don't feel it, you got to find it from somewhere else. And usually it's between those ears. When you're growing up and you are the athlete that you are and also the person who is dedicated to being a better athlete, at what point did your ability catch up with you having to actually put in a bunch of time preparing? I was a really smart kid. Once I got to about my second year of college, I was like, oh, I now got to study. I can't just go off straight what I can pick <laughs> up. When did that happen to you where it was, I've been a great athlete my whole life, but now I got to do extra to make sure I can stay elite? Yeah, I think that funnel starts from the day you really play sports. Like I started when I was eight years old um, and at eight years old, all you have to do to play football and be good is be fast. You know, like every fast eight year old is an MVP. Like there's no slow eight year olds that are like out there balling. Like it's, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get caught. Like you do, it's, 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 it's too simple a game. But as the game gets more complex, then you have to grow with it in its complexities, right? So for me, I would say eh, late high school, even though I still was beasting, um, I started to realize like you just can't wake up, put on the house shoes and then ball out of control. Like there will be resistance and I'm gonna have to start out maneuvering people, out thinking people just can't always outrun everyone. Geometry comes into play. These cats are starting to take better angles, coach. These guys are starting to run to the ball collectively. Like you can start to see where the chess match is being introduced to the game. So it happens step by step. But I would say late high school, certainly college, even though I went to an Ivy League school, it wasn't just grab everyone like I was Thor and just throw them across the field. Like I had to do things uh, with my mind and body in combination. And then, you know, the pros, every single player in the pros, they're a black belt. It's just what degree of black belt are they? Even the sorriest dude who never gets playing time, who's on the practice squad, is a black belt. Just what degree? When you look at quarterbacks and where they're taken in the draft and the top two or three will go to the worst teams usually, worst, yeah, I'll even say uh, uh, programs, institutions. When you were playing, what quarterback did you see that probably was wasted because he went to a bad organization? And you're, oh. and you're lined up, and you're like, God, damn, this guy actually could be really good, but everything around him is not, and he was not able to flourish because of that. Wow. You know, um, Carson Palmer keeps coming to mind, but he did flourish, but I was like, yo, Carson Palmer's a monster and not getting his proper due, and then he got hurt in the one playoff year and game that I thought they really could do something. So someone who didn't get their 
full bouquet of flowers was Carson Palmer. I was like, that dude's a monster. But he's in Cincinnati, and they're trying to figure it out. And then they get the receivers and Chad and TJ. And, like, they did something, but they didn't really do what they could have done in a different situation. Carson Palmer comes to mind. Um, outside of him, I, ah, man, I'm drawing a blank, man. A lot of cats, they you can play – you can play at quarterback through the expectation ceiling like of a team. If the team is tapered here, like you're right here, but you're that quarterback, you can drag that team to higher levels. But there is going to be a point of exhaustion and a point where it can't go any further. But Carson Palmer is the guy for me. Like Matt Stafford is somebody that I think about if he never would have got hmm. out, out of Detroit, he was never going to win a championship. And, yeah. you know, the Stafford now, I mean, imagine if a healthy, young Stafford, a Stafford that you still could mold, because at this point, he is who he is, but imagine yeah. a young Stafford went to, uh, out of Georgia, goes to a, a, a great program that can actually develop him. Like, I think we probably missed a little bit there because he was in Detroit for so long. But I just wonder, again, you've done it at the highest level for so many years. Hey, the podcast is is more to it. So what are you talking about? constantly like if i'm if i because i do listen by the way but if to people that are listening to this what are they going to hear when they come over and listen oh appreciate you and to listen um more to it is we're talking about sports entertainment culture to athletes about athletes about entertainers influential people and what we're trying to find out is there's more to every single story the life lessons and experiences that come through watching sports or watching anyone in this world in terms of the hot button issues. So we're always trying to go deeper than the surface level and find out what's the motivation, what is really happening in that emotional state that is contributing to that success. Marcellus, I'm a big fan. Listen to you. Love it. Just uh, super pumped that you were able to come on and just thanks, man. Uh, follow at Marcellus Wiley and thank you again and keep it up. And you know, I'll be there. I'll be a fan quietly in the corner. Like I have been for a while. Oh, my man, Bones. You keep it going, brother. Tremendous success. All right, Marcella. See you, man. Thank you. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. That's why I'm here. That's why we do it. They're also my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. There are same-game parlays, which you can make multiple bets inside of one game. And if they all hit, well, obviously you win more. It's amazing. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Right now, everybody can earn up to 100%. That boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. I love a same-game parlay. I'd never bet an under. Unders are boring. I only bet overs. I don't bet a lot of them, but I love betting who I'm going to bet to win and an over. That's when it's fun. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code BOBBYSPORTS. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win the game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code BOBBYSPORTS. 21 and up in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. You know, this next interview, I was super excited about, but I was so impressed with just how open and vulnerable that Jay Glazer was and just how effective he was at communicating his struggles and his successes. And so Jay Glazer, he's the guy we see every Sunday, or maybe you watched him with The Rock on Ballers. 
Uh, Jay is an advocate for mental health, like I am, and he's helped multiple great athletes get through their own mental battles. He also talks about Sean McVay, the Rams coach, and how Sean came to him for advice prior to turn their season around and then winning the Super Bowl. Jay's a great guy. I think you'll like this if you haven't heard it. Here is Jay Glazer. Jay, thanks for coming on, bud. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to come on here with you. How you doing? I'm doing good. Let me fanboy for a second and say that I'm just a massive <laughs> fan, and I always... I mean, I look forward to a lot of the things that you do, especially the hits before the games, because I'm like, all right, let me find out what's, what's either breaking or what do I need to know about who's hurt. So before we talk about some of the stuff that you're working on, just let me say that I'm a massive fan for a long time of what you do. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. It's, it's pretty cool for me. This is my 20th year at the NFL on Fox. So like every weekend, I get to have a family reunion with the rest of my family, and we're all crazy. You know, it's me and Bradshaw and Howie Long and, and, and my baby sister, Michael Strahan, and <laughs> Kermenefee and Jimmy Johnson. And, but every week I get to have a family reunion. Like, how freaking cool is that? Yeah, it's awesome to have a job that you love. And, you know, I, like yourself, I'm a big advocate of pursuing mental health. And I think, you know, me growing up in a small town in a very rural part of a state of Arkansas that we didn't know anything about mental health growing up. Yeah. And then to watch you, you know, really champion this cause and share your struggles with it, like that, that's inspiring for a guy like me. So I want to first talk about the podcast uh, that is called Unbreakable, and you even say it's a mental health podcast. It's right there in the title, so you're letting everybody know what, what's going on there. What exactly are you talking about, and how are you discussing mental health on the podcast? You know, and that's the thing. The, the whole thing spawned from my book, you know, Unbreakable, how I turn my depression, anxiety into motivation, and you can too, because I, I made a decision a long time ago, like I wasn't going to let this thing beat me. And I live in something that I call the gray. That's depression, anxiety, Let's throw in some ADD, a little bipolar if you can. I mean, I got it all. And it's my earliest childhood memory. Like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask for this. But, it, man, it's every single day of my life. It is hard for me to get out of bed in the morning. I got to make that decision. But, you know, when you live in the gray, um, man, it's like you wake up every morning thinking the world hates you. You're not worthy of being loved. The sky is falling. And it's not real. And I know people at home probably going, oh, what's this guy complaining about? His life is great. Man, my life is great. Like, I'm not here with you. Are you kidding me? But between my ears sucks. So for all these years, I, like, created this character on TV, the glaze, you know, and, you know, fighting and football and ballers and doing all this. And I was just, I hit it. I just suffered in silence all these years. And I wish I spoke up earlier because of all the people I could have helped, but also I would have had a, a better team to walk this walk with together, and I would have been able to handle it a lot better than the ways I handle it, which the ways I handle it in the past were not healthy for me or other people. You know, we spend so much time talking about our physical fitness. And again, I've been yeah. uh, someone who was uneducated on it for a long time until I started experiencing things myself. But we do all this, you know, how to work out, how to eat. How, and that is mm -hmm. a big part of health, but it ain't all a health. And I've learned this as well. And if you're not mentally healthy and you're not working on right. your mental health, it's almost hard to get healthy physically because if you're not all in up top, it's hard yeah. to be all in at all. Yeah. When the roommates in my head are not playing along nicely together, man, everything hurts. And so when I have these periods of the gray that I call them, um, it's, I get a visceral physical reaction. When my depression and anxiety hit bad, I feel it actually in my joints, on the left side of my gut, and behind my rib cage, and that that pain's very real for me, and it's something that I handle every single day. And um, you're right, but we, you know, mental health is so reactive these days, right? Physical health, 
Like, man, you're going to go to the gym because you want to get yourself bigger. It's every day, right? Or, or stronger cardio, whatever that, that is, right? Like I just talked to football teams. I say, you guys don't only catch passes when you have the drops. You throw them and catch them all the time. Mental health, we only go to see a therapist when the sky is falling. And that's sometimes too late. So I'm trying to get out ahead of it. You know, we talk mental health. The reason why I wrote this book and the reason why I'm doing this podcast is I want to give it words. I want to give people words to be able to start having the conversation to, you know, and it's incredible the reaction I've had. I've had grandmothers reach out saying, thank you for the first time in 80 years. I could have this conversation and tell my husband and kids and grandkids what I've been going through. A lot of girl dads saying like, I don't have it. And I'm thinking like, yeah, 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 you do. But but my daughter does, but now I'm able to have the conversation. And I want to make this distinction very clear. I don't talk, I'm not a therapist, not a doctor, I'm not a teacher. Um, I'm just a dude who's messed up, who's learning how to be good with his messed upness. And you don't have to have my level, which is clinical. And that's why I guess allows me to talk about it. I have clinical depression, anxiety, and, and that I hit all these years. But we're all going through something these days. Man, social media makes us all think our lives suck. Like we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second of a day. And we're going, man, how come my food doesn't look like that? Why am I not at that party? Like we feel left out. Or on Twitter, we see so much hate and bullying. And when I got bullied on the playground growing up, it sucked for a month. But now we're seeing it a thousand times a second on Twitter. So it's just a scarier world. So you don't have to have my level, right? But we're all going through some sort of gray. And like I said, my job now is, you know, I felt cursed for all these years, but now I feel like God blessed me with depression, anxiety, so I could give other people a voice to hopefully help them through their pain. Because, man, we deserve it. We don't deserve for this gray to win. Screw that. Like, I, I deserve to live in the blue. We all do. I wonder what your turning point was as far as you mentioned the glaze and this larger than life character that you presented, but that was your job, right? I I bet I do this too. Like other days I don't feel good, but I got to come and do a national show and you, you, you got to be who people are are tuning in to see or tuning in to hear. But for you, not only were you this larger than life person, but there's MMA, there's football. It's a very macho thing that you're a part of. And when was it for you that you went, you know what? I just have to be uncomfortably vulnerable because if I don't, like I'm not actually sharing who I really am. What was that turning point for you? I started going down worse and worse roads here as I've gotten older. You know, people think that you hit success. I thought, and, and here's the thing, like for me, that's why I say in the book title, how I use it to motivate me. I'm not able, like, I don't know what it's like to feel love from the inside out. I've never felt worthy of being loved, which sucks, man. It's lonely. I want to be loved. So it's, as a result, forced me to do all these big, great things on the outside. Like, we're in the, I'm in the TV Hall of Fame. I was the first MMA host of a national MMA show in America, doing five years on Ballers with The Rock, who wrote the forward for my book, is how important this is. So it's forced me to go do all these great things on the outside to feel loved. And, and I thought, man, once I kind of made it and and I'd have some money because I would, and listen, I've been on both ends. The first 11 years of my, my career, I was making 9,700 bucks a year living in New York City. That sucks. So I understand what it's like to be broke. And I worked my butt off to be unbreakable, if you will, because I needed to find that outside love to help lift me up and, and just didn't work like that. Like the outside stuff didn't really fulfill me. 
So I, I kind of got sick of it, man. I got sick of waking up every day. And, you know, one of the things I read about in the book is that I need a team. And I've had fight teams and different teams to help me through. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start talking about it because the more I can talk about it, I'll get a bunch more teammates out there that we can walk this walk together. And, um, and it'll help me through. And I've needed the help. As much as I'm helping others, I need the help just as much. I want to encourage you guys to check out Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression, Anxiety, and Motivation, and You Can Too by Jay Glazer. And then the podcast, which is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health mm-hmm. podcast. They are both uh, – the first episode, Sean McVay. I, mean, I assume yeah. you've got some really – like someone like me would consider really cool relationships. And I, Is Sean a friend of yours who wanted Very to come close. on? Yeah. So in the book, um, when I describe the gray – we're in Mexico, myself, him, and Andrew Whitworth, and we're trying to describe to him what depression and anxiety is. And Sean, man, his life is like a nightlight. You know, he's like, like the worst thing that ever happened to Sean is he didn't win the Super Bowl in his <laughs> second year ever as, as the youngest head coach in NFL history. Um, and like his parents look like the people who are in picture frames you buy in freaking Target. You know, it's like he's, he don't understand childhood trauma or anything like that. So we start, he starts really deep diving explaining. So I thought it was a good way for me to explain it. Trying to explain to the Super Bowl winning head coach of what it's like to have depression, anxiety, and the gray. And Andrew Whitworth, who's his captain, his left tackle, who's the Walter Payton Man of the Year award winner, he starts talking about it. And Sean goes, wait, you too? And he's like, Sean, what do you think gets me at 40 years of age to still pound my head into Aaron Donald every day? Yeah, dude, I'm messed up. Absolutely. We all are. So we were trying to explain to Sean that it's not just your locker room. It's everybody around you and where you got to start. Which will, I said, Sean, think how great of a coach you could be if you could start learning how to be vulnerable and you can start leaning into other people and start, you know, the attachment that I now have. Uh, and I'll tell you a story after this about me and Michael Strand, um, who's my best friend you know, for 30 years but I, that I hid it from. But I said, man, imagine how much better of a coach this will make you. Well, last year, they go 0 for November during the Super Bowl run, and he was struggling. And people don't know, I would actually go out to his house. I was, I was concerned about him. And I went to his house a couple times during that period just to get him to start being vulnerable and opening up to people on his team and his staff. And he did. And he really started opening up to, to things that he was struggling with, and that Help really help bond them together, and then they went on a Super Bowl run, and it just it made him a better coach and a better now he's a husband now, uh, better friend, better everything. So it's pretty cool. I got to yeah these relationships in the most doodly of worlds, right? Like I look at it like no one's questioning my manhood. I fought for years, I coached for years, <clears throat> do football, ballers, all that. So no one's questioning my manhood. So I could cry to you on the drop of a dime. I'm good. What's the stray hand story? So, man, again, this guy is, is my best friend since 1993. He and I latched on each other. And, and in those broke years, I didn't have enough money to go from – I had to go to Giant Stadium every day to work, to be a reporter. I didn't have enough money to, to take a subway to a bus to Giant Stadium and back every day. So Stray drove me back into New York City every freaking day for like nine years. So I own like <laughs> – 28 grand in Lincoln Tunnel Fair, right? So, so for years, um, and I hid this from my whole team, except Howie Long. Um, Howie could tell when I was having 
I would I would have these anxiety attacks before the show and some mental breakdown sometimes. And Howie would go, hey, 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 sky's not falling. The sky's not falling. Because Howie's messed up too. You got to be messed up to be that violent of a football player. But so last year, 30 years, okay, Stray and I are supposed to go out to dinner. And man, the beast just got out of the box. And my anxiety, I got woken up in the middle of the night by an anxiety attack. Like how unfair is that? And like, I didn't do anything. There wasn't anything that triggered me. It woke me up. And man, I just felt like my world was ending. And it freaking sucked. And like I said, it takes so much out of me physically when it happens. So for the first time in 30 years, I'm supposed to go out to dinner with Stray. And I said, man, can't go to dinner tonight. In the past, when this happened, I would use uh, Vicodin and alcohol and just hide it. And uh, and that would usually be a lot more dangerous because I started to get a little fisty, you know, <laughs> start snatching people. And I'm not I'm not the most pleasant person on that. Um, so for the first time in 30 years, I said, Stray, can't go to dinner tonight, ma'am. The beast just got out of the box. And he said, you want, you want me to come over? I said, um, not this time. I think I just, I got to get back to bed. And he said, you want to talk about it? I said, I do, but not right now. And then he said to me, why have you never told me about this? I'm your best friend. I said, man, I don't make up the rules of this thing, bro. I, whatever reason, I felt ashamed with you. And he's like, yeah, but I, I, you took my, my ability to be your friend away. Like, I wish you had opened up. I get a little choked up talking about it because had I been able to open up to him for 30 years like I am now, I would have had somebody that I could have leaned on. I would have had somebody who can help me out of that dark hole. Um, so for everybody out there listening – Listen, every single person I've opened up to about this, when I'm having bad days, nobody's told me to suck it up. Nobody's called me a wuss. In fact, it's gotten us closer together. And I would say the majority of my friends that I've opened up to about it have then in turn opened up to me about something that they never know they could they, they ever could have. Yeah, it sounds like your team's very important to you. Your friends are very important sure. to you, your support group. That, yes. Which also kind of- that's, lead- a, that's a pillar in the book of like how to get through this. Yeah, like- It's finding those teams. I talk about when I will speak or, or you know, I do a, a comedy slash kind of TED talk where I tour a bit and I talk about how, you know, we're always afraid to ask for help. But if somebody asks us for help, we do it in a second. So if someone's ever like, hey, would you please help? Absolutely, I do it. But then why wouldn't you ask for help if you need it? Oh, I don't want to bother right. people. Oh, I don't know my. But it's almost, you know, lend that perspective to you having to reach out to somebody because you would help somebody. So why right. would you not ask somebody to lend you a hand? So you know what I do now? So now I have better tools to deal with it. So again, I had another night. And I don't know why this has been happening lately. But again, like I said, like depression and anxiety, they pull a chair up whenever they damn well please. Right? There's, no, there's no schedule. And for me also, I have a panic attack. Every single time I've ever been on TV from 2005 to now, as I'm on that first segment, only on our show, not on somebody else's show. It's the weirdest thing, which was really, really strange. Because, man, I'm great in chaos. I suck in calm. So I don't know why that happens. It becomes habitual. But so as I'm talking to you on Sundays, every time, that first segment, I'm having an anxiety attack. And I'm, I call it wrestling with my abuser. And so what I do now when I get woken up 
in the middle of the night by it, or, or, or I have a really bad day, I will call four friends and tell them, man, I am freaking struggling today. I just got to tell somebody because there's power in numbers, right? So I start telling them. And then the other thing I do, like another one of my pillars is being of service. And being of service can be charity or, you know, helping in, in so many different ways. Um, but I'll call four other friends and not tell to them I'm struggling just to check up on them. And that combination of me calling people and having a team to help lift me up and then me checking up on others to be of service to them, that really helps that gray take a hike. Jalen Hurts, and it seems like it was just yesterday that the big, the big debate was, does Philly want to commit to Jalen Hurts yeah. as their quarterback? Pull him, let him play, trade. So what have yeah. we learned, though, with how awesome he is now versus when they were questioning if he could even be the quarterback? You know, I look for guys who work their butts off. And, you know, a buddy of mine who used to coach for me at Unbreakable, uh, my gym in L.A., Coaches him down there, trains him, and he's like, dude, this kid just nonstop. He nonstop works. So, you know, his thing was accuracy. And it's really hard to become more accurate as time goes on. But, you know, were they were they looking to replace him at a time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're trying to upgrade if they thought. But as he continued to work at this, work at this, work at this, I thought they were going to be a turnaround team this year. Not as much for the talent they brought in, but for the fact that last year with the head coach, Nick Sirianni, they were all kind of like, eh, does this guy really know what he's doing? Should he have gotten the job? Where are we going here? And now they're all bought in. Now they're like, okay, he's the king man in charge. We follow him. We're good. So they had just a different confidence about them. Unbreakable with Jay Glazer. It's a podcast. You can go and ch- actually check that out today, and you can order the book, Unbreakable, How I Turn My Depression, Anxiety, into Motivation, and You Can Too. Hey, just appreciate how candid you are about struggle in general. It's not easy. Uh, vulnerability is a really hard thing to learn, a very empowering thing once you can understand and see the effects it has on other people and the strength that you get from them. So uh, I think you have inspired so many and so many more with the podcast. And thank you for your time and thank you for your efforts, and I Jay. That. And, hey, and, and I appreciate also, like, I want people to understand. I'm talking about heavy stuff, but I'm also, we're going to laugh. Like, laughter helps me through it too. So if you read the book, you listen to the podcast, there'll be some heavy stuff, but you'll definitely get some laughter in there too because I think the gray hates laughter. At Jay Glazer on the socials. We'll be looking forward to it. Jay, see you on TV again. My dude. Thank you, brother. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode where I get to highlight some of the best things from the year. And we'll do another one as well. But Colin Cowherd, Marcellus Wiley, Jay Glazer, awesome. Thank you. I'll try to get some of my other favorite interviews and put them up again this week or maybe next week. We hope you enjoy your holiday weekend. And everybody here at 25 Whistles, wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Whatever you want to do, go do it. Be good to somebody. Make sure you subscribe and follow on Instagram at 25 Whistles and follow me at Mr. Bobby Bones. All right. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) 